All right, let's pray and let's have some fun. What do you say? All right, uh, the church here is winding down. Tend your disciplines. Um, haven't quite decided whether we should maybe take a week in Advent and talk about prayer and a week before Lent and talk about fasting again just to brush up. I don't know. Um, we'll think about that. But Advent comes. It's a purple season. It's a penitential season in the sense that penitential, you know, the first of the 95 Theses, you know, a Christian's life is a life of repentance. It's always good to... You know, sort of have a check on yourself. You're not too many weeks till that. Only six weeks till Christmas. I hate to put the pressure on you, but there it is. And um, Christmas sharing, for goodness sakes, we're going to have 600 people, 126 families. So, uh, and Carol always, then Carol always cleans up everybody else who can't, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. Carol's always like, bring them. So, uh, I mean, we're going to have a lot of people. Uh, continue to be generous. Carol, are you around? Do you need any particular thing? Uh, what do you, anything is short? Need everything still? Okay, coats. Big coats, small coats. Hats and gloves, too. Hats, gloves, stars. Anything that keeps you warm. We need things that keep you warm. Fuzzy blankets, snuggies? No? Yeah? Snuggies? Okay, good. That'd be great, man, if we gave everybody a snuggie. If you, all the volunteers, wore a snuggie while we were here. (laughs) Judy O'Neill, you'd look good in a snuggie. I know you would. I love you, Judy. I love you. All right, let's pray, let's go. Here we go, here we go. Almighty God, everlasting Father, you abundantly and daily forgive all our sins. You give us your Holy Spirit, and you inscribe mercy on our hearts. Now let us, too, willingly live in forgiveness and mercy through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, here we go. Uh, where's the money going today? Look, 20 bucks over here already. That's a good table. Another ju- that, is like a, that was like a, like a 5 turned into a 10 right there at that table. Oh, you can multiply. That was good. Right. I'm going to pray to Jesus that it turns into 100 before I leave. We'll see what happens. Uh, where are we going? Christmas sharing. Christmas sharing is a nice thing to give money for. Hey, if you'd, uh, I can't, uh, Carol gets better every year, so you've got this great calendar. If you can plan your life around Christmas sharing, you should, uh, especially that Friday and Saturday. It's so much fun. I, you, just should, you should just come. It's just the, it's the absolute best. So. It is. It's great. It's great. And you're good at it, and it's fun. Oh, yeah, Carol, little, uh, hold up, your, hold up those, one of those CDs. That turned out a gazillion times better than I ever thought. So you get a free one if you're at St. John. Well done, musicians, everybody. Matt Strutzel, thanks, the president, kind of pushed that along and kind of shepherded. Anna took the great photo on the back. The photo of the candle in the back is worth, you know, the price, which is zero. So, um, but I didn't mean it that way. It's worth the price on the second one, which is five bucks. It's worth the price on the second one. So you take one free. Toss five bucks in for a second one if you can, but if you steal ten of them, you're stealing from the baby Jesus, and he's very forgiving, so it's going to be okay, all right? Don't worry about it. Okay, you ready to go? So here's the thing. Now I'm starting to get emails because here's a, you were stupid enough to believe me. You're actually trying this, and apparently there's been a little bit of pushback. So we need to talk about that and why, um, you know, I did say it was riskless, and I did actually mean it, but... Um, so I'm in the, I've been thinking about how to say this to you. I've been trying to say it in one sentence. So um, I will say it to you this way, but take it in the right way. In all of this, don't take yourselves too seriously. Okay? Because here's the thing. It's not your job. The Holy Spirit. All, you're just the delivery boy, okay? That's, you're just the delivery boy. You're like the newspaper boy. That's what you do. I go out this morning. There's my newspaper lying there. I say a nice thing about the... Unless, of course, he throws it in the puddle, which is about one out of 12. Then I don't say nice things about him. I say other things about him. Like, it's a front yard. You can't hit the front yard. You have to hit the... 
sense. But anyway, so <laughs> try to relax, okay? So I did, number one, I did sort of say this, and I give you just, I know I give you a lot of stuff, but, and we don't have time to go through it all and I won't do it, but basically what's really interesting about the new atheist movement, they're gaining steam because what are they doing? <clears throat> they're, they're picking up old churches and they're turning them into place to be a community of atheists. It's so interesting. And there have been several books written on this. You can do it at a very high level. You can just do it with people who are lonely and unloved. But basically the notion is atheists turns out like the church. They like community. They like beautiful things. They like to tell stories. They just don't like the Jesus part of it. So here's what I don't want you to mistake me for. I clearly, clearly in my time here have spent a lot of time talking about the other things that very easily go to the atheist, community, beauty, Never alone, never unloved. I clearly, clearly done that. Why? Because you all grew up, most of you, knowing the catechism, memorizing the catechism, being in church. So, you know, there's no point telling you what you already know. You already know that. But I will say, now that the world has changed, I mean, the world's changed in the last 20 years. So, uh, you know, 20 years ago, a good atheist didn't want anything to do with you. Now a good atheist wants to mimic you. It's very interesting what's happening, right? And it's very interesting that what the, one of the lead guys is the religious editor, for USA Today. That's so interesting, right? Who ba- I mean, that's a pretty high-level position to be... So you, have, you basically have an atheist who's the religion editor. Very interesting choice, right? Um, but it, the new atheism, the new religion, this is what it looks like. And why is that? It's basically the map of the world. People are lonely and they're unloved. They are, in fact, attracted by community and beauty, by spirituality of a sort. So one of the things the new atheists really recommend is prayer, believe it or not. This is so interesting, isn't it? Now, they define prayer, of course, as um, it's sort of a closed loop. You know, you're talking to yourself or you're talking to other people or it's about, it, it's, it, it goes very much to Eastern kind of meditation where there's not somebody beyond, um, you know, some, where God is not out there somewhere. It's a closed loop. And really, I mean, to be honest with you, you really don't have to be threatened too much by this because here's the thing. I mean, people who, you know, Napoleon... Um, history is, is a set of agreed-upon lies, right? So, uh, you know, if, if somebody who ever draws the rules draws the rules like this, you know, those are the rules. I mean, this is, this is, the, I mean, this, this is the easiest thing for people who don't believe in God. What happens is, uh, it's a little like science, although I'm not, I don't embrace the, in fact, I'm on the other side of the science and religion. I don't embrace science versus religion argument. It's a dumb argument. It's just a scientist... You know, you can't, like, do all your calculations on your chemistry exam and then say, and the little baby Jesus made this work out. No, that doesn't, there's no credit for that, okay? It's a closed system. So if you start, if you start like this and you say, these are the rules, that's the rules, and we're going to live within the rules, reason means you conclude your presuppositions. That's what it is to be reasonable. You know where you start, and you finish where you started. If you can't finish where you start, that means you have an unreasonable world. Well, so okay. So here's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit out here, right? And, you know, they're out here having a good time. There's a very simple answer for this, which is, you know, your limits are not God's limits. If, if you tell the story that, that the, the system is closed and God can't possibly exist, it's a, it's a great story. It's completely rational <clears throat> until the last day. Okay then it won't be so rational. So you don't have to stress about this stuff. And as I regularly say to people, you know, there's a difference between knowing things and believing things. So the stupidest thing that always happens is some high school kid always gets up and makes a big screech, makes a, makes a, you know, makes a big 
deal in their high school biology class when they teach evolution. And, you know, they stand up and talk to the little baby Jesus and tell everybody how stupid they are, and they particularly tell the teacher how stupid they are. And right after they get an F and sent to the principal's office and don't have any recommendations to go to college, then you're like, why did you do that? It's not church. Nobody's asking you to believe it. You have to learn it. If you're going to be a conversant human being, you have to learn things, right? This is how the world works. How are you going to tell people stories if you don't know their story? It's about listening. It's no different than, than any place else in the whole world. It's a little dangerous these days because I meant to give, I meant to, gosh, bring you one more article. Of, but, I mean, it's the, the dangerous thing is that the right to free speech is gradually being constricted. Um, and that's going to be an interesting thing. Maybe I'll try to remember to bring you that next week. There's a genius editor on the Wall Street Journal this week, one day this week, about such a thing. Um, it's about a college lecture where a radical feminist basically got accused of hate speech because she uh, refused, well, she decided to engage all the words that people on college campuses say you can't say. It was really interesting. So it's a radical feminist lawyer who says, I can say this if I want, and then she says things. And then she's like, see, nothing happened to you. You're fine. This is what reasonable people do. But the president of the university ended up giving an apology. Blah, blah, blah. It reminds me once when I, when I was at Princeton. This, was in, this has been around for a while. When I was at, at, the, at Princeton Seminary in a Ph.D. seminar once, I simply quoted Plato's Republic where he said, I simply quoted the text. I did not make the argument. I simply quoted the text that Plato says women and slaves don't have souls. I simply quoted the text. No point was made. In fact, I was interrupted before any point could be made. Forty-five minutes later... We're still talking about, you know, the sexist, racist bigotry of anybody quoting the text. I'm like, really? So you think we should all walk around like this? Right. Really? That's what it is? So here's the thing. Learn your stuff. Things ebb and flow. Um, but try not to take yourself too seriously. Here's why. It's not your game. It's the gospel for today. It's not your game. It's not your kingdom. It's not your story. It's not your game. This is why I want to end up. Your job is simply just to deliver the goods and let things fall where they fall. Yeah, it's going to be painful sometimes, and frankly, you're going to get hurt. Not everybody's going to get their head cut off, but, you know, you're going to get passed over for promotions. People are going to look favorably. They'll talk about you, you know, behind your back, blah, blah, blah. You know what I got to say to you? Big deal. Want to come to my house and have a beer? We'll talk it over, but not very much. Because, you know, it's just not that important. I mean, the great, gosh, what's the great physicist from Berkeley? It's going on and on when he wrote, won the Nobel Prize. Anyway, he, he won the Nobel Prize, and, and uh, he goes out to dinner with his wife, and he's moaning to her about how none of the other physicists like him because his ideas are so different. She's like, you know, why do you care what they think? You won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of saying to you, you know, why do you care what they think? You won the Nobel Prize. Now, here's the thing. Let me just immediately say to you, that's no excuse to be a dork. Because you do need to, you don't have to care what they think. You don't have to care about, the, you do have to learn this, you don't have to believe it. But you have to understand people if you're going to help them. And let me just say to you, part of this is about, you know, we're not going to be on the street corner. Like about once a month, the dude goes down, the, the white van dude with the big speaker on the top goes by in front, telling us we're all going to hell. I'm like, hey, good to see you again. Welcome back. <laughs> I mean, he tells me I'm going to hell about once a month. He's going, it's, a good, it's a good reminder, you know. I mean, you know. But we're not doing it. Why is that? Because the, if the opportunity is lost on me. 
You know, it's all about the opportunity. And here's the thing. I, mean, I have no idea what I'm doing with the outline now, but it's all in the outline if you want to go look at it. Here's the thing. I'm just, I mean, I know what's in there. I know what I want to say. It's written down for your benefit, not for mine. I know what I want to say. Here's the thing. At some point, you're going to get an opportunity, right? You know why you're going to get an opportunity? Because people suffer and life is hard. And at some point, people will pay attention. You know what? Their kid's going to get sick. Their wife is going to die. They're going to lose their job. We're going to go into recession. All that stuff they buried in the backyard, when they dig that up, they're going to find out that somebody ate it. Right? Here's the thing. You're going to get opportunities. The great nervousness of the church that we have to grab people by the lapels and shake them into believing is a heresy. Because as the third article, the small, small catechism says, I can't by my own reason or strength believe. But the Holy Ghost called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gift, sanctified, kept me in the true faith. I'm all the way back to page one now. See, I didn't know where I was going. Closed system. Here's the thing. That's why... There's a big crucifix above the altar. So if any atheist comes in and thinks you're only about community and beauty, only about spirituality and justice and mercy, you couldn't possibly think that if you walk into our sanctuary. You couldn't possibly think that. Matthew, nice job on the CD. Um, you talk about shaking somebody into believing proselytizing doesn't work. Don't be a dork. I did say all those things. Uh, this past week, there was an art, there was a Protestant church in Washington, I believe it was, that invited Muslims to come see. It wasn't Protestant. It was actually the National Cathedral of the United States. <clears throat> when I read that, I thought, you were a dork. They were a dork. They, the they people were, who showed up were dorks. They, they were dorks. Yeah, right. Extreme. Yeah, right. So, was I wrong in thinking that that's a dork game? Did you say it out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, so the Nath- National Cathedral. Uh, well, I think the sadness was it can be explained by one comment. You saw there was a woman from Michigan who got up in the middle and said, this is a little baby Jesus house, and what in the world are you people doing here? Did you see that? She fortunately wasn't pounded, but she was ex- escorted out. There was the comment from... Um, you know, I think it's Episcopal. I think the Episcopal. I thought he was probably a rector. There was somebody in charge who said, dot, 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 dot. And then the key phrase was, was, because we all worship the same God. And that you see now, but that you see is that's the touch point. That's the touch point. And you'll hear that regularly even among Christians. There is a, there is a, there is, if you ask a Muslim, they'll say they worship the God of Abraham. If you ask a Christian, they'll say they worship the God of Abraham as well. So the touch point, that's the touch point, okay? And that's that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the camel's nose in the tent flap, right? That, that, you know, if you worship the same God, then this is holy space. We kind of, so what happens is it gets broadly defined. So the curious thing, I wrote my dissertation, my PhD is a dissertation on intercommunion between Lutherans and other Protestants. And I basically said this in a sentence, even though it took, you know, three years and 500 pages. I basically said this, okay? Okay, it might have taken longer. Get off my back. (laughs) I was just referring to the writing part. (laughs) I basically said, we'll say real presence if they'll say body and blood nailed to the cross. Right? 
in a similar way to the Muslims, I would say, will say, come on in, if you say... Jesus was the last great prophet, and the only way you're saved is through the blood that spills when he's crucified. Because that's, of course, what a cathedral is about, right? The problem is, is that you know, politicians, not theologians, are in charge, or theologians who become politicians are in charge, or this is the—it's actually the same argument over and over again. That to dis- it's the, actually—I got to bring that article for you next week. That was the article. To disagree with somebody is to oppress them and victimize them and hate them. That has never been America. That's never been the church. And here's the interesting thing. Even that atheist dude in the, who writes that article, he needs to meet a good Lutheran because he's, he's, he just rips American evangelicals. He basically says American evangelicalism is the reason for terrorism. He said you just have to like, like play the thing out. The great defense you have as, as Lutherans is the two, Luther's doctrine of two kingdoms, which is we say what we believe, but never by force. We've never had that in us as Lutherans, Okay. So people are honest and dishonest in different ways. If you're the rector of the National Cathedral, it's probably a pretty cushy job. You ever been there, right next to State? You know, there's a, right next to State Albans Prep School, where all the all the all the cool kids go. And in the stained glass, there's a little piece of the moon. Have you ever been there? There's a little piece of the moon in the in the stained glass. They brought it back and put it there. It's a pretty it's a pretty great job, right? You know. But the question is, is is it still church? And then the question is, you know. It's one thing to have your Muslim friends visit. I don't know if you know this. I've told you this before, but I, I grew up four doors, five doors down from a mosque. I have uh, an uncle who was Muslim. I don't know if do you, do you all know this? You should get to know me a little bit. I've been here like 17 years. I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They had the largest concentration of Muslims west of the Mississippi for a very, very, very long time. Okay? So, like, the dentist was Muslim, the gas station dude was Muslim, the car mechanic, the insurance guy was Muslim. It's really interesting. And there's been this long history of um, back and forth. But the whole game has changed. It's really interesting. But the problem with it is, is the notion that to disagree is to oppress, is to victimize, is to assault, is to do violence. And therefore, you can't disagree. And what that means is the people who are in power will always be in power. And slowly it constricts you, and that's fascism, right? That's the end of the line for everything. So is it wrong? I think there's actually different questions to ask. I think a different question would be, do we really worship the same God? Is the baby Jesus really still number one? Sure, it's a nice space, but when you pray, are you praying with him or against him? It's very, very, there's a, it, so here, here's what I would say to you. Don't react to that, but just ask a boatload of questions about it. Because somebody's responsible. Somebody's responsible for doing that, so let's ask them the questions. You're not going to like the answers, because the answers are already out there. They're the wrong answers, but they're already out there. Here's my other thing, though. When you don't like the answers, try not to have a heart attack over it. The little baby Jesus himself is going to work it out. And this is the, the story of the end of the church here is Jesus is going to work it out, which is why you all can relax, okay? You pick your spots. You wait for people to give you opportunity. I mean, if you go, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm all over this outline, but I'll give you some stuff. I got a friend, I got a guy, I know a guy who's a, he's a worker priest. He's, so he has a job and he has a parish, right? And he's decided now that he's going to start even evangelizing, proselytizing people at his work. He was, he worked at this company and then he went back, you know, through the, and, and, and now he's decided like, now that he's a pastor. He has to tell everybody the baby Jesus loves you. By the way, you're going straight to hell if you don't love the baby Jesus back. So guess what happened to him? HR called him in. And they were like, you thought this was baby Jesus saving and loan? No! 
That is not what we do here. And you've got to quit doing this, especially on company time, right? So he, call, he called me and said, you know, what do I do? I'm like, don't be a dork. <laughs> I'm like, if you lose your baby Jesus saving and loan job, how are you going to feed your family? And what good is that going to be to us? I'm like, a time and a place for everything. If you think I'm dodging, I'm not. If you open your eyes, be kind, which means listen, be patient, right? We talked about this. You don't have to walk 10 steps in Wheaton to find people who need to hear about the baby Jesus. People are suffering, they're angry, they've lost their job, they're poor, right? Somebody near to them has died. Just go. Your job is to get this collection of stories in your head and to be able to say, oh, the little baby Jesus knows all about that. That's your job. And then you're done. Because the little baby Jesus runs by his own steam, friends. He doesn't need you to uh, help the cause, okay? I mean, he does in the sense today that he gives you his stuff to use as his stuff, but does he, you know, does he need your extra oomph? I really, really don't think that he does. He did perfectly well for, I don't know, two or four, six thousand years before you were ever born. Yes, my friend. What's your name again? Oh, yeah, I got you. Okay. Don't you think it's, I mean, here's the thing, man. Don't you think it's wrong that he has an identical twin and I never know which one I'm talking to? <laughs> so it used to be, he had a wedding ring and I was like, Michael married, married Michael. And then what happened? Right? I'm just like, hey, how you doing? Okay, good to see you again. But now what? So I never know. Huh? You, yeah, but you know how long it takes? I mean, I'm getting older, so I could do like this. I'm like, yeah, Michael, silver, okay, good. It's like it doesn't work very well, okay? So, I mean, I don't know. If you come to me when I'm dying and I look at my last words to you, who are you? You'll know why I'm asking, okay? All right, what do you want to know? So, how do we navigate this space between being a dork, <laughs> uh, not being a dork, trying to relax, yeah. the Holy Spirit do his work, and also, you know, giving a reasonable explanation for the faith that is within us. Good. And that's the last text I gave you today, but don't peek ahead. But I just want to observe. I was thinking about that myself. And I want to go back and take a look at the work. But do you remember, now, you said, say it again. How did you learn the text? Give a... No, no. Well, that's not what the text says. Although I think that you equate me with the Holy Scriptures. But, you know, go ahead. I think the text is a reasonable defense. There you go. And that's how I learned it too. Give a reasonable defense, which would be now you're going to watch the game today at noon because the Bears will have an offense and a defense. Maybe. Okay. So, but there is, in, in other places besides the Bears game, there actually is a distinction between the offense and the defense. Okay. So the thing is, is what does the text say? I actually want to go back and check that. Today, I was thinking about this morning driving over. It does actually give a reasonable defense, right? Which is different than a reasonable offense. Now, there are people who are called, like John the Baptist, to go on the offensive, right? But we have to talk it, about that, what that means. Isn't it just explanation? I, gotta, I want to take a look at it, but it is translated as reasonable defense, which means opportunity presents itself like, you know, um, why do you think this, right? I just, just real honestly, I mean, partly is I've been thinking about this all week, so, you know, I have to write enough out that you can take it home and think about it, but I really think... And understand that I'm going to give you an answer that fits this generation. I'm going to give you the most self-centered, postmodern answer I can. So if I told you about the baby Jesus and you'd say to me, why do you believe that? You know what I'd say? It works for me. 
Now, that's a really bad answer, unless you live in postmodern America. Then it's a really good answer. Because what do people in America care most about? There's no common good. You know, nobody, no, the common good doesn't, people don't talk about the common good anymore. They always talk about, there's no balance between the common good and individual. It's all about you. The thing is, is every, every vice can become a virtue, right? So use the tools you've been given. The thing is, all you're doing is like, it's like, it's like you're tagging them with a spray paint can. All you're doing is just giving them the stuff, okay? Give it to them in a non-dorky, non-defensive way. You're just like dropping off a package. You don't have to, you know, there's, I mean, when they, you know, it's like those, it's like when you play golf with your brother and you give him the exploding cigar. I mean, you just give him the cigar. It's when he lights it that it explodes, right? It's like that. You need to watch more Three Stooges. That would be my advice. <laughs> Yeah, in generally, and I will go to your outline, although you don't have an outline. It's probably because you hang on every word that I say. I know you do. You want to memorize this. Fear and anger. Fear and anger are the two fear and anger are the two primary responses, right? So you are afraid that people will think you're a dork even when you're not trying to be a dork, or they'll disrespect you, or they'll frankly hurt you, or you're angry that it doesn't work better. Because you've got this kid who doesn't come to church and you just want the kid to believe. So what do you do? Well, you ground them until they come to church. That should work. Okay. All right, that was just the big intro. All right, so let's just, let's just okay, so we're not going to, all right, here's the thing. We're not, my thing is I always want to get done and we're not going to get done. So we'll probably do this next week again. Um, and then I think the next, is the next week Thanksgiving weekend? There's no Bible study that Sunday because there's no... Sunday school that Sunday, and we lose everybody who's got a kid, which is everybody. So, all right, here we go. Let's just, let's just, let's just, just we're just going to run through this and see how much. You got just questions about anything? I mean, I could talk about this all day long, but it just is, it's just so interesting. Yes, my friend. Uh, just one thing. I, I work with a lot of Muslim Iraqis. Yeah, right. And it is amazing to me that being accepting of other people just as they are yeah. opens up so many other doors. Right. Then I have had with evangelical Christians, really, probably, um, in my personal life. Yeah. Outside of the church, you know. Like, yeah, no, I, bl- I actually believe you, yeah. And it's, maybe it's because they feel just as alienated as um, somebody I do. Yeah, right. Like in, in, in Wheaton. Yeah, right. Um, but those finding commonalities Yes. And the world forces you to be on your toes. Here's the thing. If you come to Christmas sharing, Christmas sharing is this weird combination of you're all scrubbed and polished and ready to go, and people who are very much off balance for a range of reasons. They're poor, and they know they're poor because they have a letter. That you, they hand a letter to us and say, I'm really poor. That's a very difficult thing. They're often from another country, so they're off balance about that, and they often... Don't speak the language, so they're off balance about that. Now, part of the reason for you to come is to just love people in spite of all that. And at Christmas sharing, if you don't do anything else but deliver the goods and engage people warmly with respect, that's going to be a huge deal because what they'll remember is this came from a church. We're a church, right? 
No bones about it, we're a church and we're doing this because we're a church. So I take the point. The problem is the world is a messy place, right? So, you know, another guy, you know, the young guy, and what a sweet guy, you know, this guy from Indiana apparently was beheaded and the video was posted this morning, you know, and it's the great sadness because it was interesting because he's, you know, he was an army guy, but he was back doing, you know, refugee work. It's a, just a great, the deep sadness of that. And, um, you know, you have all the way from that. But, I mean, just remember, you know, Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan both claimed to be good Christians. So, I mean, just like, you know, sweep in front of your own door first and all that. So just, you know, just, there's not many things you need to defend in the situation that you're in right now. While I can moan about how things are going bad for freedom of speech or freedom of religion or people stealing our stuff, the honest truth is we have a very, very good life and we're, people can hurt you in ways that are maybe material and they can rough you up, especially if you're in an academic setting, uh, Things can be things, issues like tenure and advancement and, you know, anybody who's written a PhD, there's a couple of places built into any PhD program where they can fail you for no reason. It's easy to fail somebody at a PhD program. Primarily, and academics are horrible often and theologians are the worst kind of academics. The most evil people I've ever met are theologians in academic settings. The, wor the best people too, by the way, right? Why is that? Because they study good and evil and they get really good at it. People can screw you in a thousand different ways. Some ways you don't even know it, and some things last a lifetime. And my question to you is, what difference does that make? Because if you, if you, if you worry about that too much, then you actually think that the little baby Jesus doesn't have control of things. And quite frankly, the little baby Jesus has control of everything. And that, in the end, I mean, I've given you all the punchlines without giving you the data, but in the end, those, that's the cure both for anger and for and for, and for fear. Here's the thing. This is the point. Don't bring it on yourself. Don't be a dork. Don't bring it on yourself. Don't unnecessarily alienate people. Don't go at people like you have some sort of agenda, right? Don't think that you're in charge. All the ways of being a dork, forget about all the ways of it. Just deliver the package in a very kind way at just the right time and see what happens. Because once you do that, once you do the bit that Jesus has given you to do, it's up to him and the Holy Spirit. All right? And you only, yeah, you'll suffer. It'll be painful. You know, I've suffered. You've suffered too. All right? Big deal. The washout at the end of the church here is when Christ comes again, everything gets split up and everything gets split right down the middle. Right? And that's not your business. Right? Unless you want to quote me the text that you will judge with the apostles and then we can have an espresso and talk about that. But in general... Jesus is going to work it out, okay? Now, we should take that apart piece by piece unless it is the 20 till already? All right. Let's go at least far enough that we can clean up the little bit from last week because I felt like maybe I didn't get all the way there, okay? So point number one. I did say it was riskless. I didn't say it was painless. I probably meant painless when I wrote it. This is just point number one. But you can read the thing about atheism, and you can, you can read it with um, a small bit of fear and trembling because uh, it's, a very, it's a very attractive option. I have, I have a lot of friends, and my kids have a lot of friends for whom that's a very attractive option. Because what happens is they mimic the exact things that make the church great, the organization, the community, the rhythm of life, the interest in meditation, in things spiritual, small s, which could be like going to the National Cathedral if you're 
you know, just joining up, okay? So you see how potent that is, that we are really religious. In some ways, it's, you know, religious in the sense of we have spiritual needs, right? But whether they distinguish them from psychological needs, we do. Whether they do, I don't know. But frankly, it's really interesting because in that article, one of the things he says is, why do you pray? They basically say, because it works for me. Lowers your blood pressure, makes you more focused, allows you to be more kind to people, at least in the social sense, right? So the only hope we've got as a church is if Christ stays at the center. And I gave you the big map, and I've talked about that map in different venues. We did a, you know, a couple, four years ago, we did a big, I, I put it in there again because you see that those things aren't unto themselves. Beauty and community, those are lures, right? They're lures. They draw people in, okay? And so that's why, I mean, you've got to have a crucifix. The whole notion over the past years of churches that don't have crosses because they might offend somebody, you got to ask, you know, which side is, is gaining traction from that, right? It's, not, it's a little bit the National Cathedral argument where you stop saying this is important to us, the altar's not important, the holy space, the crucifix's not important. Um, at some point you lose that, okay? So point number two, uh, what about fear, what about anger? So what happens is you find out that as you give this a go, um, you tend to suffer just a little bit. And I'll just put it under the broader category of you push against the darkness, the darkness pushes back. You need to keep your, you got to keep your life simple, right? There's light and there's darkness. There's angels, there's demons. There's Jesus, there's Satan, right? There, it's this or that. And you're going to be on one side or the other. That's the end of the church. You're, t- you're, either, one, you're either part of it or another, you know? Yeah, you can love the baby Jesus and still sin, but you still love the baby Jesus. You're still saved. Life is still good. But you're on one side of the argument or the other. Try to keep it simple. And this is just a basic thing. We've talked about this over and over again, but it's important to talk about it. If you push back the darkness, the darkness pushes back. Luther, when he baptized a kid, one of the few times he ad-libs apparently in the liturgy, he baptizes a kid and he looks up and he says, we haven't done this kid any favors. It's like you put a big bullseye on any kid you baptize, right? Because what have you done? You've exercised, you take the, you've, you've You've angered the demons. You've pushed things away. You push back the darkness. At some point, it comes back around. You know, it's going to come back around for every last one of you, in one sense or another. For me, for you, it's going to come back around. The only thing you can say is, you know, Jesus doesn't let you be tempted beyond your strength. Or at the end of the day, you know, the end of the day. You know, what are the interesting, well, yeah. At the end of the day, um, the Lord is going to sort it all out, okay? So I just want to, and this is probably the last thing I'll do today. Just point number three. I just want to be sure you got how great that was last week, what Jesus was doing. Jesus isn't going to let people die in their ick, right? But here's the other thing. You've got to handle ick with care. You know, the new guy who has Ebola who came to, did you see, he's, he's the worst. They, they brought another doctor back to America this morning, and they took him to Omaha. Where, and they said, this guy is the worst case. I mean, he's sicker than anybody. In fact, he's beyond, they're not sure they can save him because he's so far gone. And they said, um, once he gets to that level, he's far more contagious than the other people who were here before. So they said, we have to be much more careful the people who treat him. It's a little bit like you, because ick is attractive. Read Psalm 1, right? Ick is attractive. Cheating people to get ahead, that's attractive. Telling lies about people, that's attractive. Gossiping, that's attractive. You exercise power over other people, right? Cutting in front of people, disadvantaging people, it's attractive. It's attractive, it's attractive. Why? Because it pays off in pleasure. Read the thing about Simone Bay today, and the, this great margin comment from Simone Bay about how pleasure is an illusion. Every pleasure is an illusion, 
right? So pleasure is great. I'm not knocking it. All the pleasures of great food, you know, great love, great vacations, great sight, but it's always an illusion because it's not the final thing, right? It's very, very important. So Jesus, you know, changes the game, Kobayashi Maru. And then I just, just look at the model. Jesus is kind to the woman. He's patient. Remember, he sits, he listens, he writes on the ground. He doesn't run away. He stays with her. She doesn't even argue that she's not a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. And then Jesus, five words or less. This is my reading of it. No sins? Go first, stoner. That's what I'm thinking Jesus said. Because uh, I had to get it in five words. So, you know, I think it's, you know. All right. And then Jesus asks the question, who's a hater? And as my kids often say to me, haters going to hate, right? I mean, that just is, it's great. I mean, kids actually, you know, there is shorthanded kidness is actually good for some things. But I mean, people who hate, they're just going to hate. They are. I mean, haters are going to hate. It's, it is the way it is. People hate her. Unless somebody, you know, shows a way out. Unless somebody breaks the circle. And that's what Jesus does. Nobody hates her. God loves her. Her village at least doesn't hate her. They're not going to kill her. And she loves herself, okay? Go, don't sin. Go, be free. Go, be beautiful. Okay, we're going to pick it up at point number four and, and how you engage sin, although I've talked about that a little bit. But I'm just going to say to you, you can go through life much more calmly and much more happily if you stop trying to do the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. It's just going to be frustrating for you. So you have your bit to do. Jesus does give you. And the, the, it's so interesting, the text this morning, when Jesus talked, the words are, they actually use things like, according to vir- the, the Greek word means according to virtue, according to ability, according to excellence, according to, it basically means according to your ability to, return on invest, to make return on investment. That's what it means. Uh, Jesus gives gifts to everybody particularly, depending on how you might use it. So if you end up having a gift, it means that you should be able to turn that into four or six or eight or ten. Because Jesus kind of hand-selects how he gives his gifts to people. Very interesting what happens. And there's no competition between the guy who gets two and the guy who gets five and the guy who gets one. It's just Jesus' evaluation of you. So this is the thing about Wheaton. You've been given so many gifts, you've got to get some work done, man. I mean, Christmas sharing should do 1,200 people, shouldn't they, Carol? So, uh, and Carol should be in charge of it. Okay, I just think we pray after that. Okay, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you need a little bit to think about, you can read through this, but especially pay attention to the last Bible bit from um, 1 Peter. That's a stunningly great answer to the questions of fear and of um, anger. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.